Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Hi, welcome back to Heard Tell. Okay, we get to talk about something kind of sad, but a little bit of fun and something that's actual cultural impact, not that political cultural impact we're talking about, talking about how you actually live your everyday life. Uh, Our good buddy, he is a documentarian. He's a longtime journalist. He's been on the show before. Great to have him back. John W. Miller, how are you, sir? I'm great this morning. Um, Great to be back. Always like talking to you. Yeah, we love having you. Uh, We talked about Moundsville last time, your great documentary. Uh, Here's something else that's kind of synonymous with small town American life, but also used to be in the cities, which you're going to talk about because it's kind of disappearing in the cities. Little League Baseball. What got you writing about this? It's a, you got a great piece in American Magazine. What got you on Little League Baseball? Well, I um, am a baseball player and coach kind of by trade. It's been a kind of side career. Um, when I was growing up in Brussels in the 1980s in Belgium, it had a really big um, community of Americans, probably 20,000 Americans and a very, very good Little League with a thousand kids and the ambassador to, to Belgium from the U.S. with throughout the first pitch. And we would send teams to Williamsport and the Little League World Series. It was a very good league. And I, I played in it and I, I just loved it. And I got to be pretty good at baseball. And I, I played in college a little bit at Mount St. Mary's in Maryland. And then in my 20s, played club baseball in Europe. And I moved to Pittsburgh in 2011 for the Wall Street Journal. And after I decided to leave the Wall Street Journal, I decided to get back into baseball coaching. And so I, I Googled Pittsburgh baseball coaching job, and I found a job about half an hour north of the city with a private club. And because I was there as a coach, not a journalist, I'm not naming the club or any of the players or families. Um, but it's, it's the reason I wrote about it was it was pretty typical of what youth baseball has become now in America. And so I thought it was worth taking a dive into this transition we've done from uh, all volunteer based sort of participatory leagues to the more private, more expensive, um, often higher quality of play. Um, it's often called travel sports or travel baseball. I, I prefer to call it private or privatized sports um, because I think that more accurately describes what it is because it's often uh, people um, trying to make a profit who own the club and who are you know using it to you know pay for their their own salary and pay for their 401k and pay for their kids education so it's becoming like little, little businesses which obviously you know this is, this is america There's nothing wrong with starting a business um i just thought it should be you know talked about a bit more now we're not we're much of an age it wasn't that long ago when i was a kid you know you played t-ball and then you played little league and then you might play you know what they call pony league or american legion ball and then other than that you go play you know high school middle school and then college the travel teams talk about the rise of how this started to change 
um, because, and you went into some baseball history in your piece that some folks may not, baseball really is America's organic sport. Like this is something we came up with on our own. When did it start to change from, okay, you play T-ball, you play little league, you play maybe, you know, American Legion ball, something like that to these travel teams and what changed that? So it was in the nineties and, 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 and aughts. Um, I am pretty sure that, uh, well, I know, I know that what motivated um, people is having a higher quality of play. And it was kind of imitating the all-star teams that would be put together every year for little league baseball. So little league is an incredible organization. It spans the globe. When I was a kid in Brussels, we had little league teams. And if you're charter little league, you have access to this global tournament where the best players from your league get together and they can play. And if they keep winning, they go all the way to not just Williamsport, but other um, uh, places for different age groups. And I, I as a coach twice, I, I won uh, European championships and little league paid for my little brother and, and his teammates and, and me to fly to Michigan, to fly to Maine, to compete in global tournaments. And so you have this pyramid structure, but the problem is that if you lose your team of all-stars, they uh, have to stop playing. And that can happen in, in June or July in the tournament. The World Series is not till August. So I'm, what happened was parents of, of teams uh, who, whose players had, had lost in these tournaments were like, well, we'd like these guys to keep playing. This is a great team. How can we do that? And so you had, in the 90s, you had started seeing um, development of private complexes, which would charge money to um, uh, have teams come play in tournaments. And where I live in Pittsburgh, there's a bunch of them. There's a guy who's like a plumber who, uh, with his the, this land he owned, built two baseball complexes. And, it, and every weekend from you know April to, to October, um, he can get 20, 30 teams in there, each paying $1,000 to play in the tournament. And the, the, the tournaments are set up to be really exciting. So often you have two games on the Saturday that are round robin, and Sunday it's a knockout round. And it's thrilling to, to be a part of that. And so it's kind of taking that little league World Series experience and commodifying it and making it into a product you can sell. Um, and, and that can be for anybody who can, who can pay you know, team together. And we lose in, in, in June uh, in that, that you know, big tournament, uh, you're not out for the whole summer. So it's kind of turning that Little League World Series experience into a product is, is what I think happened. Yeah, that's the business side of it. The cultural side of that is when you start doing all-star teams and you start doing these travel teams and tournaments, though, you've moved away from, well, this is our city team or our community team or our county team, and now it's a mismatch of people, and that's where you started delving into, okay, this isn't just a community team anymore, and that's a big change, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, in the old days, it would be uh, something that would really unite um, you know, all the kids in a school or all the kids in a school district or, or town, you'd all play in this league and you could all, you know, different levels of skill, I'll be a part of it. Um, now it's like, yeah, the, the better players will be driven off to uh, the next suburb to play in, in, in somebody else's travel team. So uh, it's definitely not healthy on a basic human level. Um, as, a, as a baseball coach, and I explore this contradiction in, in the story, as a baseball coach, I find that the higher level of play quite satisfying and I like coaching good teams and I don't see why I wouldn't, why people wouldn't like better baseball instead of, you know, crappy baseball, but yeah, it's destructive on a kind of societal level because it, it takes away the, the, this reminder that you, even if, if you're a better player than me, we can still be friends and we can still be on the same team. We can still, we can still get along. And it's kind of, to me, it's contributing to this, 
uh, you know, division in America, which is often economic. I mean, it's uh, a society that's increasingly unequal. And so here is a, a place that used to be united, but now uh, there's one world for the, the sons and daughters of, of real estate developers and medical salesmen and bankers, and a different world for the, the sons and daughters of people who work at Walmart or McDonald's or Amazon. Yeah, and John W. Miller joining us. Uh, let's be honest, uh, baseball is a bit of a complex sport. You got to have equipment. You got to have a lot of people involved. It's not like soccer where you can just roll a ball out there and go kick it. Uh, there's money involved. And when you start talking about things like dividing it into travel teams, what happens is when you start having an elite level and you touch on this in your piece, a lot of the lower level stuff or the community stuff or the municipal stuff starts going by the wayside. You mentioned in Pittsburgh uh, when you went to Pittsburgh as a journalist back in uh, the early part of 2011, there's all these great facilities, but nobody playing on them. And part of what happens is there's only so much money going somewhere. And when you're pipelining a certain group of kids, the other group of kids, there's not a lot left for them to play, is there? And this is a particular problem in, in baseball. Um, if you take away the best five players, uh, say out of 30, say, say you have three little league teams, you take out the best five players, you lose the kids who are strike throwers, who are kind of generating the rhythms that baseball depends on. Uh, for, to have a good youth baseball game, you need strikes, you need balls put in play, you need a core group of kids who are good at catching and throwing and catching the ball. If you take them away, the game kind of falls apart, which is not a problem you have in soccer or basketball where the game might slow down or you might have fewer goals, but essentially you still have kids running around and it's still fun. It's still this kind of joyful physical thing, but in baseball, people just stand there. And so you need those core group of kids to keep the, the pace of the game strong. Um, and that's a, a problem that's particular to baseball. And I, I think it's why, uh, you've had this decline in recreational participation. So now it's like for baseball, it's either you're part of a travel team, you're paying a bunch of money and you're, you're pretty ambitious or you're not playing baseball at all. You're playing something else. Yeah. What does it do? Cause you talk about this too. When you lose a sport like baseball, like little league baseball, where it's pretty much open to anybody can show up and play, you can find, you know, bar gear or whatever. When those lower levels disappear, again, there's the business side of it and then the community side of it. What did it do to the community side for these, especially in the inner cities where baseball has almost disappeared in a lot of them? Where, what does that do to the communities where they don't have that sport edge that you found when you started researching this? Uh, I mean, you know, they've lost baseball. I mean, I, you know, I love baseball, but I'm not somebody who says that you have to play it or that, you know, you can have a happy life without playing it. So. I mean, people play other sports and, and you've seen, I mean, not just in cities, but in, in, in suburbs and rural areas. I mean, lacrosse is now way more popular than it was when we were kids. Um, you know, kids playing golf, which I find kind of insane, but there, that does happen. Uh, so yeah, but you're right. Uh, in cities, baseball is less popular and particularly in the um, African-American community, it's less popular. And in my piece, I chronicle uh, some efforts to change that. And it really depends on a lot of grassroots work. It's very hard to kind of manage from the top down. And, and despite, you know, MLB's efforts, uh, you can't just throw a bunch of money at this and, and hope uh, it'll just kind of turn into kids loving baseball. You need people doing the work. And so in my piece, I chronicle um, Nelson Cooper and Pittsburgh Harbaugh Academy in Pittsburgh. There's also a guy in Philly named Amos Iran who has Anderson Monarchs. And every city has one of these uh, organizations. So if you care and, and want to help, I encourage you to figure out uh, who in your city is doing this work and, and support them because that is what it takes. It takes people actually coaching 
you know, on the field three, four times a week doing the work, which is not easy. And, you know, it's pretty skilled coaching task to try to get kids excited about, about a sport. Yeah. And to be fair here, this isn't just a baseball problem, uh, basketball, the same thing's happening in basketball with AAU, uh, which you know about football. It's becoming a very clinic driven, specialty driven sport where you go to clinics for whatever your position is, especially for quarterbacks and wide receivers and things like this. This really is a change in how we view youth sports in America at large. It's not just baseball, is it? It is. And the stereotype is kind of like that, that uh, um, these are the children of people who, who think their, their kid's going to play in college or, or play, play, play in the pros. I think it's more that this is just a better experience just in the moment. That, that like you, you pay the three grand for your 12-year-old to play Little League or this, this new kind of baseball because that's what's the most fun and if you're a good parent you know in america you're supposed to spend the money to ensure your your child's being fulfilled <laughs> and so it's like this is what the good baseball is now it's like the premium product if you will to use yeah. the advertising language um and so yeah there are obviously some kids who are good enough to, to dream of playing at higher levels but for the most part i think you're just paying this because this is what this is what the form of, of baseball or, or, or basketball or football uh, looks like now. Yeah, John W. Miller joined us to take a quick break. He didn't just write about the problem, though, as a good journalist. He turned around, and wrote some solutions, too. We'll talk about that. Also going to ask him about a few of the people he met researching this. The great John W. Miller. We love having him. More with him on Hertel right after that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Yeah, we're back with our buddy John Miller talking a little baseball. Okay, so we know what the problem is. We know that the money's an issue. What's some of the things we can do about it? My first question about this, though, is if it's a cultural problem, like you said, MLB's thrown plenty of money at Little League Baseball. That's not the issue. How do you change a cultural problem? You have to have a cultural solution, don't you? Yeah, and that means the people at the grassroots uh, having ideas. Um, so as a follow-up to my first piece, I wrote about some of those ideas. And, um, you know, basically, if you think about, uh, you know, youth baseball, youth baseball as its own sport, what you need is for there to be balls in play. You cannot have youth baseball become a contest of whether the pitcher can throw a strike or not. So you need to change the rules so that you have that ball in play at least every 30 seconds. So one thing I like to do is play one strike and you're out or two strikes and you're out where I'm pitching or a machine is pitching and you're getting a strike and the ball's in play. So that's one way. Um, co coaches catching to kind of make the pitchers more comfortable and have them uh, you know, get rid of pass balls and, and sort of accelerate the tempo. 
um, playing uh, with, there's a guy in California named David Klein who has a game called Speedball, which is three teams uh, show up every game. Uh, one team hits, one team plays the infield, one team plays the outfield, and you rotate. So you get more at-bats with only five players, and you have different rules to accelerate the game. Uh, smaller balls to make it easier to throw strikes. Um, five on five with three bases. You know, people think that baseball is kind of etched in stone and, and you're handed down in the Constitution, but it's actually a very malleable game. And there are lots of rule changes in the 19th century. And I think you just have to change the rules until it is exciting again. And, and if, if it's not, then why, why would a kid want to play if it's, if it's just standing there? I don't know if you know the, the Peter Paul Mary song, Right Field. They sing, uh, uh, playing right field can be lonely and dull. Little leagues never have lefties who pull. And so it's a song about a kid just standing there and all of a sudden the ball comes out to him and he's just shocked. So yeah, baseball should not be that, that picnic. <laughs> it should be fun and, and rhythmic and have uh, you know, good pace to it. And so you need to again, change the rules so you get that pace. Now that's something that football has done in America, especially now we talked about how the, that's become a clinic kind of sport. They, you do, they play seven on seven, you do clinics, you go to things like that. It seems to me like something like that, because it sounds like, well, that's not the real game of baseball. No, but what it does do is the one thing that's really hard to get Little League to do is it builds a skill set, but it still does it in a fun way that doesn't drag like a full-blown game does. Yeah, that's really smart. I should look into that. I, I don't know that much about football, but um, yeah, that seems like they've, and they're kind of forced to, I guess, because the, 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 the grown-up game is, is so insane, so you need to modify it. But yeah, I'm all, I'm all for just making up stuff that uh, works in the moment um, and not trying to you know, be too traditionalist. Because eventually, if they're good, they'll, they'll be able to play at the higher level in the real game, too. Yeah, John W. Miller joining us. Now, uh, you have one suggestion that I think is a great suggestion, but let's be honest, baseball can be a little stodgy. They can be a little traditionalist. They can be a little slow to change. But I think you have a good suggestion here. You talk about the coaches at the Little League level. It's set in stone that they're not to be paid, but this is something that should probably be changed because, and you had a great line there. It's like, well, you don't expect free violin lessons. Why would you expect free baseball lessons? Should they, should they have some kind of a standardization of coaching? Well, um, yes, uh, it seems like it, it's going to be hard to fix this problem if you don't admit that your average parent, with all due respect, is um, probably not a qualified baseball or softball coach. And, and by the way, when I say baseball, I include softball and I, I include girls, girls sports. So um, uh, there should be a middle ground between uh, a private club or somebody's making you know, and there are club owners, by the way, who make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so there should be, a, should be a middle ground between the the volunteer parent who knows nothing about the sport and then the private club where um, it's, you know, three or $4,000 to play. Um, and so I think it would be reasonable to have, you know, a fee that would be, you know, say $300, um, which is manageable for almost all families if, if you know, in the broads per year, in broad sense. And then uh, paying coaches something. And so then you can get some qualified people and, and you can demand a kind of performance and demand a kind of pace and de demand a standard of, of, of fun and, and excitement that um, you don't get if it's a, a parent who does not know what they're doing and just standing there. And, and you know, it drives me crazy when I see a, a dad standing at home plate, hitting a ball to one kid at a time. Uh, and while eight kids just stand there. <laughs> so I, I bring up the, the European kind of club model where it's often um, a public field or 
kind of public structure, but you're you're paying the the, the coaches and and the the fee is somewhere between the the little league, you know, fifty bucks or hundred bucks, and then the private club three or four thousand. All right. One of the things we always appreciate about you is you find these great human interest stories. Give me a couple that you found writing about this, about baseball. Give me one or two of the great individual people that you met that really bring this to life. So I, I, I mentioned Nelson Cooper, who's a, um, an African-American man in his 20s, who when he moved to Pittsburgh, was disappointed not to find baseball. And so he started out with a, a group of kids and, and just um, running practices and games. And now he has 80 kids playing all kinds of levels and is sending a kid to, to um, there's a kid from that program going to play shortstop at a major college. There's um, you know, just a sort of culture and community that he's built around it. And I, I really uh, admire that. Um, I interviewed a uh, former major league catcher, Charlie Green, for this story. And Charlie grew up in Miami. And he told me when he was playing Little League, he played one game a week. And that was the highlight of his week. And it wasn't more than that. And that guy made it to the major leagues. Um, so you don't need the, the, all the, the bells and whistles sometimes. Um, you know, if you love it and you're talented, uh, you'll, you'll get there eventually. All right. You coach it yourself. Tell me one of yours, though. What, just put it on a human level for me. You're a great writer, which is why we always enjoy talking to you. But t- tell us what you get out of something like Little League and working with the kids. And I mean, it's a game. It's a sport. You're helping kids. What does it mean to you, though? Well, I, I love, um, you know, sort of leading uh, players into a, a place where they can play really well without you know yelling and screaming i feel like kids usually don't listen that much to to what you're saying especially in a group so it's all about setting up a structure where they're figuring it out for themselves by playing and then you have to make adjustments but ultimately they have to learn by doing i do try to get um you know boys to talk about their feelings essentially uh in a way that maybe has not been presented in them before one example there was a game a few years ago where we had scored uh, four runs in the in the top of the sixth in, sixth in the sixth inning game to take like a three run lead, and then we gave up four to lose the game in the bottom of the sixth. And everybody was completely devastated, and everybody was just sitting there, um, just you know crying. And it was you know they, they were ten. And it was a really crushing loss. In the next practice, I sat everybody down and I said, "Well, let's talk about what you were feeling in that moment." And, and I imagine that. Uh, the feelings you have could be shame and I explained what that meant and or anger because you're mad or pride because you came back um, or you know sadness and I explained what all those feelings meant and, and they kind of took it all in and then I went around and had them say which of those feelings they identified with and one of the kids goes coach I felt all of those <laughs> and so yeah just the the you know I'm not there to, to lecture people about you know big heavy stuff but when the moment comes up like that then you have their attention and they, you can kind of help them connect. Because I remember as a, as a kid, you know, just feeling very angry whenever I failed and baseball is a lot of failure and getting really angry and, and mad and, and not knowing what to do. And, and I, you know, wishing I had, or in hindsight, I wish I had a, a coach who sort of explained how you cope with that because baseball is a sport where it can just be excruciating. You're by yourself, you fail, everybody's looking at you. Um, and so, yeah, it's a chance for a coach to, to kind of, uh, use that moment to, to help somebody you know, grow up a little bit. Yeah. John W. Miller, love talking to you, my friend. He's got two great pieces on this topic out in America magazine, how America sold out little league baseball is one of them, nine ways to get kids 
to fall in love with baseball again is the other one. We will be linking to both of them in the show notes. You, man, you, my friend, have a lot of irons in the fire, though. Let folks know what you have going on. We've had you on before about Moundsville. Folks can still go find that at pbs.org. Uh, let folks know what you're doing in your social media so they can keep up with you. Uh, so, yeah, I, my Twitter handle is JWM uh, Journalist. Um, I uh, write a column for America every couple of weeks. Um, I'm working on a book project about baseball, which I, I can't detail yet, but it's about baseball. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm looking at different coaching jobs in Pittsburgh. So keeping busy and, uh, yeah, enjoying the kind of the interest in, the, in this story because I, I didn't expect it would have this much interest, but people really care about baseball. So it's fun to be a part of that. I was, I was on the, um, effectively wild podcast yesterday, the number one baseball podcast talking with, um, Ben Lindbergh about all this. So it's really neat that, um, you know, everybody is so uh, interested in this and, and, um, I'm grateful to be part of a, a, the conversation in a subject I, I love so much. Yeah, well, you do very good work, sir, and we love having you, and we will definitely have you back soon. So, John W. Miller, appreciate the time, my friend. All right, thanks, Andrew. Thank you, sir. know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.